Hello and welcome to the Third Space Podcast. This is Bennett. And before I jump into the episode introduction, I want to give an announcement um, for the podcast. Uh, Daniel and I were talking after today's episode, and we think uh, for 2023, we want to change things up a little bit, change up the structure of the podcast, or or maybe even give it some structure at all. <laughs> um, our podcast schedule has been all kind of all over the place really since we began, um, since we both uh, you know have jobs and we're both busy and maybe can't research topics or little games or whatever. We haven't scheduled them uh, at regular intervals, and especially in busy times like the holidays, we've kind of skipped uh, a period of time. Anyway, that whole lack of structure and routine, we think, has made it a little bit more difficult to maintain the podcast. So... What we are going to attempt to do uh, going forward is make more frequent, regular, but shorter episodes. Um, So this, of course, we will be experimenting with over time, and it may change, and yeah, maybe we'll skip some if life gets in the way, but our goal is to have a weekly episode around 45 minutes Um, If we push past uh, by a little bit of time, maybe to an hour, that's okay. But we really want to limit ourselves to an hour. And we're going to try to balance that shorter duration while still maintaining the the third space goal of the podcast. And that means that our topics will probably change a little bit such that we don't have long intro segments. Uh, We just jump right in to um, some topic that, that interests one of us. And we're also going to try to do a little bit better of a job sharing um, the topics that we come up with, uh, maybe having Daniel lead an episode and then me lead an episode. Oh, that's a little bit more wishy-washy. So we're going to experiment with that. And it may work, it may not quite work, but we're going to try to stick to it a little bit and see how it goes. Um, and I know our vast, immense audience um, will certainly give us feedback uh, or not. But if you do want to give us feedback, uh, we we always forget to mention this, but you can send emails to us for whatever reason to uh, mail.thirdspace at gmail.com. Very professional on Gmail. So please feel free to do that. Uh, And that's the announcement. So enjoy, enjoy the future episodes. This episode, however, does not fall into that pattern. Um, This episode is episode number 45 and it's entitled Chat 3SP. So, yeah, I tried, uh, okay, maybe the title is not the best, but it's the whole episode is really about Chat GPT, the very popular AI chatbot that um, has kind of taken a lot of discussion uh, over the last few months. So Daniel played around with it. He really was impressed by it and had a lot of thoughts, and I always find AI to be a very interesting topic. So we jump right in and talk about ChatGPT for most of the episode. So if you like discussions about AI and society and technology and that kind of thing, that's that's exactly what we talk about here. We both complain a little. We both uh, muse on what a good future might be uh, with AI everywhere. So anyway, that's the introduction for this episode. Hope you enjoy and... I look forward to our new podcast format in coming episodes. It's a podcast, Bennett. It's you and me. It's called The Third Space Podcast. (laughs) 
I jumped in there. You did. You got it. I was it. ready, man. You know what? In the past, I've been really critical of your musical introductions, but today, it's a new year, my friend, and you know what? I'm I'm here for it. 2023 is going to be the year of Daniel's musical third space <laughs> podcast introductions. It's going to be wild. Man, it's a new year. It's a new you you, you me, me. new yeah. intros or not. Or not. I actually I was doing our, our like prep, like right as that we were about to begin, and I thought, oh no, oh no, I don't have anything. <laughs> so you actually did think about it before pressing the button this time, which is um, that's different than usual. New year, new you. Yeah, wild, wild stuff. Um, I want to talk about about something that's on my mind as an English teacher lately. Okay, all right, go for it. Uh, Chat GPT. Oh, you want to get right into it. I do. <laughs> I just want to launch into it because I have like, like lots of thoughts. Okay. Um, yeah, go for it. Uh, what is that? It's a like a generative language AI system where you can you know chat. It's. I mean, it's. I, I guess it's designed as just a, a chat bot, essentially a very sophisticated chat bot that might even give Google a run for its money in terms of. Uh, you can ask it questions and it'll give you answers and and uh, I mean you you can even use it to say like what's the best pair of shoes if I want to go on short jogs and it might and it like is it can give you a list and quick reviews and all of that mm-hmm. um, it can it can do so much in fact there's lots of videos out there for here are the different uses it can translate really well it can explain con- complex uh, you can say, explain existentialism to me like I'm a five-year-old, and it will. Uh, so you can, uh, and it can write, I asked it to write, I'll be teaching Fahrenheit 451 this year, so I said, write a uh, five-paragraph essay on the symbolism of fire in Fahrenheit 451, and it produced uh, a very structured, you know, because that's the thing a five-paragraph essay is as your intro, three-body paragraphs, conclusion, transitions, uh, and it did a good job talking about the characters. I mean, and I would not be able to tell it was generated uh, is the thing. It really is a coherent model of language. Mm-hmm. I've asked it to tell me a story, you know, uh, re- rewrite the American Civil War, with a fictional account of the American Civil War, and it ta- talked about magic and magicians and sorcerers going to war. Uh, but it gave the correct dates, so it was like weirdly intertwining some truth and mostly fiction. Uh, but it's just so. Uh, Danielle's a big X Files fan. She wrote, "Write a new X Files episode." Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably even write like a reunion episode, and it would even incorporate that sort of thing. And it knows all the you know characters, and it, it's just thoroughly impressive. Um, and there are all these headlines out there, like the end of the college essay, the end of the English essay as we know it, and there's this sort of doomsday, oh my gosh, that AI, the stuff that we just talk about in like dystopian lit, has, it's here, it's finally here in the form of chat GBT. And I'm sure that's all super inflated and super uh, overstated in some ways. Uh, I don't think, it, I mean, this was released, I believe, in like November, so it's yeah, pretty it's pretty new. Pretty new. And I don't think students have regularly caught on. And there's, like, like, from my understanding, educators across 
the world are kind of going, okay, well, what do we do? I mean, and so, you know, there are different sides. There's like, let's update honor codes and thing in our, in our plagiarism policies to include no use of AI, including chat GPT. Uh, that's one, what I would argue, ineffective route to go, right? Like, okay, just, just don't do it. Don't use it. It's kind of like saying, don't use spark notes, you know? Right. Uh, and I think, you know, my school has that position. Don't use spark notes. And then some people have a different, like I have a different philosophy of like, it can be a great tool. Uh, but I also know I'm speaking a little bit. Like if I say, use it as a tool, like read. So if you're reading Shakespeare, for instance, it's difficult, like, you know, as a teacher, I say something like, all right, we're going to read this in class aloud and struggle with the language. And if you need to go home and reread it in the No Fear Shakespeare or the Shakespeare or whatever translation, there's all these different translations Let me ask you a question. Um, conceptually, what's the difference between a student using chat GPT to aid in their essay and a student using a spell checker to, or a grammar checker to aid in their writing of an essay? Uh, okay, well, that gets to a big idea I want to talk about, and I guess I can make that transition. Um, well, I, you, well you, in... you lead me. You lead me where you want to go uh, okay. on, on the topic. I'm I am uh, familiar with Chat GPT. You know, I've heard people talk about it. Um, I read about it a little bit. I haven't used it uh, personally. I've used similar um, AI tools, like uh, you know, we did an episode on. AI Dungeon um, yes. some, some time ago, which is based on the same technology as uh, ChatGPT. Right, and it really impressed me. And then this this impressed me further. Like I've been reading some articles and stuff too, and I finally just created an account and started playing around. And that's when I was like, whoa, that's when I got excited. I don't know why, but reading about it, I don't know. We've, we've been on the cusp of sort of AI. Like this doesn't shock anyone to talk about, or it's not a concept we haven't, thought about before so when i'm told there's this great one out there uh you know i'm also told there's a great phone out there but i'm not sure that even a great phone exists i'm told there's a lot of great stuff out there so i was not as enthused uh but you know i just said screw it like i what i finally made the account and i have been uh it's, it's thrilling to see it. it generates right in front of you too uh quickly but it does it generates right in front of you and the as the far as you know, that, well, I mean, yeah, as far as you know, it might be a human on the other end, actually, just answering <laughs> your questions. Um, yeah, it could, very you. thoughtful human. It, the thing is, it's generating such long form text quickly. Uh, and it can be apparently, I mean, it, it warns you of this, it can be wrong. And it, it's a very confident, this, this could be a big misinformation. If there is enough misinformation out there and it's just processing language out there, then it's going to spit it out there. Oh, that's inevitable. I mean, that, is, yes. that literally is the case. Yes, so it's not just a, It's case. not a hypothetical. That's, that is the case with it. And but that, if is you ask a, it, that is an unsolvable problem as far as I'm concerned. Yes. And, 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 hope, and that's where when you have the open marketplace of ideas, like the, the pr- truth, tends to rise to the top at least that's what i want to believe and so if i ask it is one plus one two it's going to affirm that or if i even ask it uh i mean it's a, it's as trustworthy as say wikipedia you know and wikipedia we, we say as teachers don't use wikipedia because it's not a you know properly scholarly proper scholarly source but like we use wikipedia and it's pretty dang trustworthy and so 
when I ask it to explain, when I ask ChatGPT to explain existentialism to me, and I, you know, it spits back accurate information. Uh, and so, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, there, but it also might, it might pepper in some, I, I could see it getting complicated with like newly emerging issues mm-hmm. where people are divided on. Uh, and, or like the science isn't definitive or whatever, like emerging things. I think a language processor would be a little more, I guess it's just more, uh, in everyone, no one knows. It's not a decided, a collectively decided thing, you know? Well, that's, the, uh, so that's part of the danger in it. I think is that people don't understand how it works. They attribute magic to it where no magic exists. They, they attribute intelligence to it where no intelligence exists. You know, I've heard people say that, you know, chat, B, chat GPT is smarter than you. Chat GPT, AI is coming and it's smarter than you. Well, not really. I mean, smarter. Yes. I, mean, I mean, we've talked about AI a number of times on this podcast. And, you know, I don't claim to be uh, an AI expert, but like... You know, like I got a master's degree and I took a lot of AI courses. My degree specialized in interactive intelligence. So like I'm not an idiot. Like I know the basics. I know how the basic algorithms work. You know more work. than most. Yeah, yeah. And like it's just, the, you know, before those courses, I had a little bit of that magic. You know, I thought, oh, wow, you know, AI is actually intelligent. And then I took the courses and I realized, oh, it's just equations. Like, it's just like it's. If you think about it's it, powerful any, but not intelligent. Is that yes. a reasonable thing to say? Yeah, yeah. If you think about it for any length of time, then it becomes obvious. Like, oh yeah, actually, these nerds didn't create life on a computer. They, you know, they they created very smart, um, <laughs> very effective uh, algorithms that can run extremely fast with the benefit of modern hardware. And so it can crunch through all the permutations and it can search large, you know, networks of connections very, very quickly. And is that impressive? Yes, it's very technically impressive. And I continue to be technically impressed by, you know, ChatGPT and all all of the the AI stuff um, that's coming out. But it's not magic to me. It doesn't feel like, like... we're on the the brink of the singularity and humans are, you know, the old and the AI is the new, out with the old, in with the new. We're not going to be able to tell the difference between humans and and AI and, well, because there's no soul to the the AI output. It's just manufactured soul. It's just soul that's reached out into all of the human-produced information that's, you know, that we've trained it on. And it pulls out the little bits and pieces. And so it tricks us into thinking there's soul there. And sometimes it does a good job. Like sometimes it does an excellent job because, you know, it a lot of humanity's soul is expressed in language, in, in its words, spoken and written words. And so, you know, we are so used to to inferring other people's humanity based on what they say or what they write that when... Uh, a very sophisticated algorithm can pick words and put them in a certain order. Well, I mean, it it tricks us into thinking that it, there's soul yeah, there. Yeah, it, it's the it same thing. Us. It's uh, it's almost identical to that, you know, that thought experiment, silly thought experiment. You know, if you had an infinite number of monkeys typing on an infinite number of typewriters, they could eventually produce the complete works of Shakespeare, um, which is a thought experiment on infinity. But actually, we are with AI approaching 
slowly that infinite horizon where you know a computer with infinitely fast processing capability and an infinitely large database to search through could eventually produce you know the complete works of Shakespeare or human soul or whatever and you know I, I think it's an asymptotic approach that being will never get there um, it's infinitely far away and we just approach it with increasingly diminishing returns I think that's where we are but but that's the point is that without without human produced information without training this thing chat GPT itself was trained with supervised learning which requires um, human input or at least some verification uh, uh, that it's not aware of um, reinforcement learning and things like that and in fact chat GPT particularly was you know it, it produced output and they had their whole team and even reputedly some outsourced Kenyan tribes people or I guess there weren't tribes people but just Kenyan citizens doing thumbs up or thumbs down on the outputs and you know kind of massaging them and fine-tuning the model actually while, while I'm mentioning that I'll mention a funny uh, tidbit that I read I don't know the truth of this um, it was on Wikipedia so who knows whether it's true <laughs> or not but apparently uh, the outsourced Kenyans that they used for content moderation of chat GPT uh, you know, they were being given the unfiltered, unmoderated output from the from Chat GPT, and they were so traumatized by the outputs that they're like, uh, well, they're complaining about it, if not pursuing legal action um, against wow. Open Open AI for all of the uh, all of the terrible things apparently that they were exposed to. <laughs> I don't know I what mean, to think about it's that. It's just the filth of the internet, kind of thing. You know, lots of terrible like. Like whether it's racist or misogynist or gory or what? What are we talking about? I don't about? know. It, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't dig further into it. Um, I I imagine that it's exaggerated and these are, uh, yeah, people just yeah, like a, trying to trying to make an extra buck um, by complaining. Yeah, <laughs> but that is something I want to talk about: is the content moderation in ChatGPT. The concept of content moderation of an AI chatbot, whether that's good or bad, how you know how that should be done or shouldn't be done, what the effects might be. I think that's a, an interesting area of conversation. Oh, it definitely is. Well, I had several thoughts that, that mm -hmm. were going on when you, you're talking about artificial intelligence. And to me, the metaphor of like what it's trying to do is hold up a mirror. And, and if you think about a mirror, I mean, a clean mirror the reason I know it's not a mirror, well, first of all, I might see myself in it, but if it's positioned somewhere else, I might not know it's a mirror, except it has borders and it might have a smudge on it. But if it's perfectly clean and it does, you know, uh, when I think of ChatGPT or any of this AI or, or the, the reason it's effective is because it's, it's digging, like the reason this art, if you've seen the AI art stuff, it, yeah. it actually is impactful and beautiful. It's because it's, you know, building on the backs of giants. It's holding up a bunch of mirrors. Yes. And so I think the job of AI and, and the, when it gets complex is it's holding up lots and lots of mirrors and then it's trying to erase the seams uh, and, and so I imagine like a, a wonky AI holds up maybe not as many mirrors and that they're clunkily synthesized so that like it's just very clear I'm looking at a bunch of mirrors and you can see the seams and it looks kind of cool but it's really distorted but like ChatGPT is holding up more mirrors and uh, I guess the metaphor is like somehow the seams are, are a little more seamless and not as noticeable 
Uh, is that a, I don't know. That was just a thought. No, that's I a, had. that's like, a good analogy, I think. Um, and I can definitely see, you know, AI dungeon, um, that we, that, that we talked about and did a little, we played with on, on a, on an episode before that used, uh, the GPT two language model. Um, you know, it's made by the same people. Yeah. And this one's three. This okay. One's GPT yeah, yeah. Three and really GPT 3.5, they call it. So it's kind of like a beta test of GPT four. And what changes between these models is the number the number of parameters, um, that's the metric they use for it. GPT-3 has 175 billion from, from what I read. Um, and that's just- I don't understand what it per, like what's yeah, an example it's of not, one parameter. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's not that important. Um, I, you know, I, uh, I'm not sure exactly what mechanism they're using under the hood, whether it's a neural network or whatever, but Whatever the case is, you know, it's obvious that the more parameters, uh, you know, you have, the more um, wide-ranging and discriminating your algorithm can be in in predicting the next word of a string of text. Um, okay. And so the more, more parameters, the, the, the better. Um, potentially, the more parameters, the longer the processing time, or there's, I'm sure there's some other diminishing returns, the more data space that it takes up <clears throat> on disk. Um, Although on that topic, one thing I was surprised to see is that GPT-3, the one that ChatGPT is using, takes about 800 gigabytes of space on disk, which just isn't that much. I expected it to be a lot more. Um, yeah, so yeah. it makes me wonder if this is runnable offline um, in, in any way. Like I don't, I don't know if there's extra data overhead on top of the 800 gigabytes of raw data. Um, that's required. But anyway, I was curious. I, I searched around a little to see if there was an offline version, and, and there's not um, of this model, of course. <clears throat> well, so so yeah, from a technical perspective and all of it, it's really impressive. And you could I could give a bunch of examples like I did, but but really, I want to get to like I want to consider its impact, and and particularly mm -hmm. with I was thinking about, of course, through the lens of being an English teacher, but also through just like. The idea of language and how important language is and how we communicate through language. That's how we take what's inside of us and we communicate to the external world. We have language and then we have different means of doing that. We can speak, we can, well, we can speak and we can read and we can write and we can watch and we can, you know, listen and, you know, whatever. Um, and I would say that in terms of language with regard to reading, it has been highly disrupted and transformed and different than it used to be. You know, like people are, people say things like we're reading less and they mean that we're not reading long form text, literature, fiction, uh, or uh, just, you know, you're not sitting down for hours. Like that is happening less. But, you know, I think an argument could be made we're reading more than ever. It just might be, uh, that everyone in some to some degree is a publisher now, right? They're posting their, their Facebook posts or their their social media posts or reading quick articles or reading headlines or reading like like we're we're, mm -hmm. we're reading constantly. It just might be lower quality, n not as curated uh, information. I don't know. I don't know. But like we're we're definitely reading differently than we used to. Um, when it comes to writing, we're all, we've been writing differently as well because text messages or those the same social media posts, we're creating them. But really, we've gotten to be, we've talked about being like a copy-paste generation, you know, or that's what Facebook has become. Instead of generating, you're just copy-pasting, which is interesting because that's what 
ChatGPT does. And my concern at a high level is the idea of language, like the difference between, uh, well, let me back up just a second. One argument is like, look, it's going to be, it's not going to fade away. Uh, AI generated text and its sophistication is here and now it's just going to grow and become more prevalent. So English teachers, one way of thinking of it is like, well, instead of assigning, like maybe it's just a bad prompt to say, write uh, an essay on the symbolism of fire in Fahrenheit 451. Uh, and maybe we need to ask students, maybe, maybe they do it, they get the generated chat GPT essay and then they become editors and then they become uh, they, they tweak the information, maybe they embellish it, they, they, they add to it, they take away, they edit it. And on a surface level, that's like, okay, that's cool, because ultimately, isn't editing a form of synthesizing? You know, like, okay, there are a lot of valuable skills here, and that's what we're doing, is trying to teach them to think and read the text. But the core issue is that it in terms of language is that it's someone else's it's 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 ai for goodness sake it's not just someone else's like a book we read but it's like to read the difference between reading or writing and writing with chat gpt is the difference between writing and reading you're just like you're, you're you're taking someone else's language but like to write to really write is to create your own language or at least to use language for to express yourself uniquely and if you're just using that stuff, like, I don't know, you're just, it's, you're not creating, you're yeah, not using absolutely. your own. I mean, that, so. I mean, that definitely, you know, highlights the problem of, uh, of AI, <clears throat> AI generation, AI text generation and in the classroom, right? And like, I mean, I've been saying on this podcast and off of it for years that the robots are coming to take your job and this is just the first <laughs> this is you know this is the pebble in the pond here um, yeah. it's not taking your job exactly but it's posing major fundamental like foundationally disrupting uh issues for education because yeah, writing, gonna... yeah. writing so... is a key component of education and because like it, it allows for asynchronous production and review of thoughts. Essentially, that's the purpose of writing. You might argue, you might quibble with that, but practically, the purpose of writing in the classroom is so that students can all write at the same time, and then you can later review their writing. Um, like it's a time thing because, you know, the purpose of education, at least partially, is you know to provide them knowledge and wisdom the ability to synthesize information and uh, generate their critical thinking skills okay all of that is great um but writing's not the only way to do that it happens to be a convenient way because of the practical you know the practical details of, of writing that i mentioned so like if now writing it, it can still be a valuable tool, but the problem is that the tempting and easy path is to use AI to take take a shortcut. So you never have to develop the skills. Um, you can let the AI do the writing for you. And so you're not actually serving the purpose of education. And so the, the only way or one, one of the ways that teachers could get around this is, okay, well, writing isn't going to be the primary method of, you know, in, of transferring this knowledge, wisdom, and critical thinking skills anymore. So you would have a lot more, I imagine, a lot more uh, extemporaneous speaking or class discussions or roundtables or 
whatever, and it yeah. would be l- less less grading of essays and papers, which kind of makes sense to me, and you know, I think might actually be a beneficial uh, change to education. Um, it, as much as I enjoy writing, I do like writing, or rather, I like having written. I like having a produced writing product, and that kind of thing wouldn't go away because the people who learn that they enjoy, you know, communicating, synthesizing, questioning, discussing, they would still be able to write, um, and people would still be able to read the stuff that they produce. It's just that, you know, the people who don't enjoy it or who are learning to do it and find it unpleasant while they're learning, you know, wouldn't be able to lean on an AI chatbot to to do that. Well, I just, I think that even if, I mean, I want to picture like high school Bennett and, and I'm your teacher. I'm this inspirational teacher and you, you agree with me generally when I like make an argument and I'm talking about the dangers of chat GPT and the power of expressing yourself and honing these skills and you agree with me and then you get home and you have this homework assignment that you can either just click a button or you can laboriously, you know, yeah, I can already tell you, I, I can already tell you what I would do. I would click the button, the AI would produce a story, I would read it and I would think this is boring and I would just write my own. I would think I can do better than this and I would just write my own. Like it's easy, it would be quicker and easier for me to write my own thing than to have the AI write it. Now, if it's depend depending on your assignment, if your assignment was boring and your assignment was, you know, write me a five paragraph essay about the symbolism of fire in Fahrenheit 451. Well, I don't find that to be a particularly interesting prompt. And if I was pressed for time and found it to be a bore, then yeah, I might click the button, read to find out what the symbolism of fire was, and then write my own essay using those nuggets of information. Um, but <clears throat> even then, I would probably be disappointed, and I would I would just rather do it. I would rather write my own take on what the symbolism of fire is, because I just I get really weary of just boring lack of soul, and that's what it is. That's that's what this AI is is lack of soul, and that tires me. It tires me really quickly when I read something that doesn't have a voice, doesn't have soul, doesn't bring anything unique to the table. And I imagine this is what you're exposed to every day, you know, you know, with students who are learning to write is just, you know, kind of churned out. This is why you couldn't, you know, you might not be able to tell the difference between an AI generated essay and a student generated essay, because I imagine you could tell me if I'm wrong, that, you know, it's only 10% of student essays that have a soul and the rest of them are just kind of churned out. Things. Yeah, oh, definitely. I think the word voice is what comes to mind in terms of English teacher terms like having a voice in your essay it's like a lot of kids and and this isn't a problem really this is actually just very very natural is they're learning the mechanics of writing and we're assigning things that it's not like we're not doing a lot of creative writing creative writing has this uh, unfortunate reputation of being fluff uh, you know, not as rigorous, uh, not as intellectual, not as serious. It's more of just a cutesy assignment. I've always thought, no, like we have to redefine. It's not like just write about unicorns, you know, or just some made up like prompt where you just say whatever. Like it's actually the highest form. Like, like we read these creative works and we write these li- literary analysis. If we can get students to be creating the creative works, like they've come they're, they're, they're doing the highest level thing, right? Like that is the ultimate goal is that they can communicate 
thematically uh, and and in a literary form. So I get annoyed when we say, like, we, we really dumb it down. We write literary analysis and we say, here is a, here is like how to do a topic sentence. Here are transition. Here's a bank of transition words, and it almost becomes this fill out a template. Uh, here's how to do quote integration. We get caught up in MLA format and where the period goes before or after the parentheses. And it just, it it feels like I'm talking about mechanics instead of soul. And so... Yeah, well, you what, have to learn the rules. That's what AI can... And you, you have do, to learn you the to rules explain. before you can break them. So... Yes. I mean, that, so, so that far I understand. It's just something I sort of accept that like, yeah, like, I mean, I don't think I'm doing some great damage to their creativity because no. that's just a dumb argument. But, but I would right, say... But to be I honest... I wish we could be like, developing to, their creativity and kind of... Who cares about them? Like, like remember we, we've talked about how we were misspelling the word hilarious, like even in high school and stuff, or like you know, we, or just weird things that you would not think we were doing. We were doing so. Like, what if we, what if we didn't care that you were misspelling or that there were like some goofy, weird issues with your writing and you, you know, and well, but you were really wrestling think, with big ideas and content. You know? Well, I think it's dangerous to to stray too far down that route. Now, what if we don't care about the fundamentals so much and we only care about <laughs> you know the the ultimate goal well i think that's dangerous like obviously we shouldn't tie ourselves in a knot and fail a student if they put the period you know outside the parentheses or inside the parentheses that's silly and even i think that uh english teachers in particular can get really pedantic especially with their formatting guides you know like yeah, i think that yeah. stuff gets kind of ridiculous i hate mla formatting and all of that like just make it just, just make it easily comprehensible. Um, yeah. And, uh, no, but but grammar and punctuation is part of making it equally cons- comprehensible and spelling too. Um, yes. That's yes. and using the correct word. You know, like actually using the right, <laughs> yeah. the right word. There has to be a baseline of communication that's consistent. You yeah. Know? All of that is important, <laughs> and that's what students should be taught. Now, if I had to gripe about things, uh, I would say that you know at at the high school level where where you are by that point the fundamentals this should be there should be no question about the fundamentals by the time students get to high school <laughs> they, they should you should as a as an 11th grade what grades are you teaching right now 10th I'm teaching 9th and 10th 9th and 10th yeah. i would say certainly by 11th grade uh, a teacher should an English teacher should never find a spelling error in their students' essays, <laughs> oh, never find yeah. a punctuation error in their students' essays, and never find a grammar error in their students' essays. Like, it just shouldn't exist at that point. By that point in your education, you should be so practiced in writing that you shouldn't have those errors. But our education system sucks so bad that people continue, you know, we, we societally continue to just push kids forward through school even when they don't have the fundamentals like elementary school is when like by the time you reach sixth grade you should be writing the essays that you're receiving now you know in high school um middle school is when they should have the fundamentals pretty well grasped and they're experimenting and playing around with the rules and that's their exploratory phase when they're they're poking at things and that's when you're going to get the weird exciting essays that kind of don't work or don't quite make sense or you have things out of order and then high school you should be getting pretty polished well thought out things that's my opinion on the the way that progression should go like i know in the modern educational context that's 
absurd and <laughs> you just could never yeah. expect that it's, that's why but, i was laughing it's just yeah even but, with some high achieving students but yeah but, but that's the right, way it I should think. be that's the way it should be and we shouldn't settle for less um i don't think we should settle for less and if that means holding back kids for you know multiple years in a row then well yeah, that's just, just make it less it taboo goes. to get held back yeah that's a whole revolutionary yeah i, yeah, model, I mean we but. yeah we've just like we just need to the whole educational <laughs> the whole educational endeavor is a total bust um, right now to me like the 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 um, like the credentials all of that stuff is so empty and meaningless like you me, you have done a terrible job at this let me let me put this back on track <laughs> well, I don't know if I've shared this with you but um, Sometimes I get tickled. If, if I have assigned a really good prompt or if a kid is really into their writing, and you touched on this a little bit, that they're, let's, let's say I have a, a student who's, uh, in terms of, is a good thinker, but their writing is not the most disciplined, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, if I give them a boring topic and we've talked about it in class, even if we talked about it in, if we, it's a good topic, but we've really basically given all the answers, all the analysis in class, and I ask them to write an essay, they can write a disciplined essay because they're not having to think too much about the content. It's just like they can focus on the organization, the structure, and all the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I assign them something, and, and let's say they've shown that to me, they do have the capability of producing a well-disciplined a text. Now, then I assign them something that they get really excited about, and they are just on fire. Their brain's on fire, and they write it, um, and they're kind of grasping at that I guess the zone of proximal development like as far as they can reach they're, they're really wrestling with big ideas they don't full, they haven't fully sorted out they their essay is so much more likely to be a hot mess you know in sure. terms of uh, organization I've even seen it go as much as like just one wall of text they've submitted now of course I should you know and I have like handed it back and said look You've got some good ideas in here, but you just didn't even write in paragraph form. You just wrote one line. Like, it looks like you were so excited that you forgot everything you knew about writing and organization and structure. And we're just trying to get, which is great, but that just means this is a draft. Go back, you know. But my point is is that that seems to be, like, like they, there's only so much capacity. We, you know, we're finite beings and we can't do it. There's almost infinite things to do with writing. I think that's the trouble with it. Like, other subjects, when you're just, like, doing a math equation there can be something beautiful and i'm not saying it's not complicated but it is just it is just like there is a path and it is a singular path often but this is like you can do whatever you want and you can create and go in different directions it's like Mm -hmm. you know so so when so when they're occupied by constructing new thoughts and they're excited by that they don't they seem to lose some you know it's just a cost in other areas and so sometimes i almost take it as a compliment like if i see a student if i know a student's writing well enough and go this writing is a disaster but man they're like wrestling with an idea they're actually i guess the thing you were saying soul there's like there's something that they're like they're they're actually wrestling with ideas and i think that that's a win you know yeah i mean i i agree and i think in the post ai generative text world you'll just have to find a different way to get them to express that we're just writing class, ideas. handwriting. We're all going back to handwriting, cursive handwriting in class. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, time becomes the the issue, right? And scalability yeah. because you can't you can't ask your students to discuss the symbolism of fire in 
Fahrenheit 451, everyone stand up and speak your thoughts. You know, they can't, <laughs> <laughs> they can't yeah. all do that at the same time. Now, if you had a robot teacher, well, then, <laughs> then oh, maybe, man. because listen, listen to this. Then you could have a classroom of students, each with their own microphone or whatever, or in their own little booth or some, I don't know, some kind of technological um, solution to it. You could have the robot teacher, which could listen to 30 different audio streams at the same time, turn them into text, run them through its hover chat GPT algorithm, and then uh, assess yeah. the, you know, the, the, the coherency well, of all of those streams of audio and then grade them. And so oh, that's another thing you can do. I can copy paste an essay and say, like, give feedback on organization on this, and it will. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, but the problem with chat GPT in particular is that it can be wrong. So, like, yeah, you could, you, you, you said you could, you know, feed it an essay and ask it for feedback, but you still have to verify what it says. Like, that that's the problem with it right now is that, it can be wrong, and it can be quite wrong, actually. Um, and you have to imagine that in its training, in its super supervised learning and reinforcement learning process, they have people doing thumbs up and thumbs down on its responses and fine-tuning everything. Like, with the sheer volume of output that it can produce and the limited number of humans working on it, like you just have to imagine that a lot uh, slips through the cracks. And so you can't... You can't it, firstly, it has no soul. Secondly, you can't count on it to be right. All you can use it for is like a seed for your own thoughts or your own purposes. Like, and, and I don't think people realize that right now. They think that, you know, it's magic, that it can be used. Yeah, it's a substitute. It, yeah, it's yeah. a substitute, but it's not. It's a supplement. Um, and it's tricky, right? Because the open AI, the people who are making it, they are not, I mean, they would be happy if people keep this magic feeling for as long as possible because it makes them the most uh, the most money and gets them the most um, you know uh, reputation and popularity and all of that stuff yeah. and probably your data too that's why I didn't play around with it because they want your email and phone number and I'm like I'm not giving that right. to some shady AI company <laughs> that doesn't share their code they call themselves open AI and they don't they're not actually open source <laughs> like what are you what are right, they doing right are we training it currently too? That's what people say. Like, um, I think we're doing is training it. I think you can give like when it gives you a response, can't you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down and tell it why? Like, they'd probably use that stuff. Yes, there's a thumbs up and down, and uh, and I've just not not clicked on those. But yeah, they probably use that in some form or fashion. What I want to know is, like you said, it can be wrong. Um, when can the way I heard it phrased, and it, this is just one video I watched, so this doesn't mean a lot. I, I sent it to you, actually. Um, but within a year, at least, the claim was that within a year, it will sort of test the information against the real world. And I don't know what that means. Um, like, right now, it's just a language algorithm, you know, spitting out what it, the, all the mirrors thing. But, but, like, can it actually test... It depends. It's, yeah, I mean, I heard that too, that claim made, and it depends on, it depends on what we're talking about. 
I guess someone, the way I interpret it was like it it will test to see if it's accurate, like it, in reality. Like, how like, is this statistic real? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Then it has then we get into the trouble of like going to verified sources or like right. Ones I mean, it's the same problem, right? Like you know? all, the this is the issue, right? Is that all the problems inherent in human knowledge and communication that we have had on the internet are now still present. Every single one of those problems is still present with ChatGPT, except now it's obscured. It's hidden underneath their algorithm and all of the neural network back propagation error nonsense under the hood and the company that doesn't expose you know, how it works or cite its sources or anything. It's all hidden. So all the misinformation or incorrect uh, information or um, bias or uh, faulty data, um, error bars, all of that stuff that we have already still is present with ChatGPT or, or a future AI. It's just now obscured from us and we can't see that those problems exist. That's the magic, right? We would love, so I bet there are people who get a response from ChatGPT and they would love, they love it. They would love if it's true, but it's not true. It's a mirror, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a mirror and they are just either um, unwilling or unable to see the seams that, you know, that are present in the yeah, results that yeah. they're getting. It, what is the field, like the theory of knowledge, epistemology, is that the word? Yeah. The study yep. of like, is the, and how knowable is the truth and all of this. I mean, to me, this seems like one of the most, int- if you were a philosopher or, or like, this seems like one of the more interesting question of our times is epistem uh, epistemological crisis we're in of like I, I guess what's interesting to me is growing up i thought the truth was so absolutely knowable and it, not only well i still believe the truth is knowable i just thought it was reasonably easy to know <laughs> yeah and i think it is in this the smaller you get like like in my world meaning like my job and my like there's just knowable things, how much my rent is, you know, what day of the week it is, what my schedule looks like. These, and I, I think we need things to be very knowable. And so, mm-hmm. I guess this is a new idea I'm literally coming up upon right now as I'm talking out loud. But like that's the tension now is like as we've become more universally yeah. connected, that like what's knowable is, is so obscured and. Dang, that is uh, unsettling. And so then there are people who are unhappy with their lives who decide to sort of emphasize, you know, well, that, that's bigger a great picture stuff, and they just don't even know what's what. It's, it's a great point, and I want to, I want to, I want to talk out loud about that a little bit too. So you can imagine in the pre-internet era, you know, before we had this explosion of connectivity. Um, and Which was us, by the way. Pre-internet is us. Gosh, I know. right? Well, I mean, we had we had a taste of it. We were yeah. still pretty young at that time, but before before that, people people's experience was mostly things that they participated in themselves personally, and they experienced the ups and downs. They took an action and witnessed the consequences, and then over time formed lessons and beliefs and understanding of how the, the world worked. And so, yeah, obviously people had newspapers and radio and TV and they could, you know, read literature and all of that. But the knowledge was, the, the big picture ideas was 
uh, it, it was polished, right? It was polished and it was um, composed before they consumed it in almost every case. And then their own personal experience was generated, you know, for, you know, firsthand um, through trial and error. And so it, all of that to say that pre-internet, I feel like people had a very solid and maybe? yeah, a solid and confident idea in how the world works and what they believe and why, because they were there for it all. But post-internet, post-internet, we were hit with a tidal wave of knowledge, opinions, and importantly, it was uncomposed knowledge and opinions, especially now. It seems like things are getting less and less composed as we go further in time with social media and just hundreds or thousands of talking heads and diverging blogs and news posts and everything. And no single person has the time to verify it all. And no person has the life experience generally to to say, oh, this fits with what I've seen before. And in fact, now we live online so much that our experience, the thing, the 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 mechanism that we use for testing whether something is true or fits with our beliefs or principles or observations, like the internet has now corrupted that tool. Like now things that we read on the internet or opinions from people that we heard on the internet we use that to check and verify the things that we experience in real life. It's almost like it's been inverted, right? Like you go you out and you see something and you say, wait a second, I heard about this on Twitter or whatever. And you're checking to see if the thing you experienced actually fits with what you heard about on the internet. And that's wrong, right? Like all the stuff on the internet, you should be, you should be looking at with a little asterisk next to and saying, this is, this is suspect information and the stuff you experience in in the real world that's what you should be comparing all the internet stuff to but we don't do that and you and you and i like you said we are kind of like the people straddling the pre-internet and post-internet era like we when, when did you start using the internet really probably middle schoolish i think i think the beginnings of AOL Instant Messenger, yeah. sixth, six, seventh grade. Right. Um, yeah. That that yeah. was my experience too, and you know that was early days, and obviously we weren't being exposed to, you know, the vast amount of information that that we have now. The internet was a different, a different place, um, but now there are. Right. Uh, that was just a different thing entirely. We were looking at just like funny. Like this is the beginning of spam emails that were still fresh reading hilarious jokes you know well, i mean i remember you know going over to um one of our uh mutual friends casey's house you know this was elementary school and he had the internet and i didn't yet have the internet and he had a computer <laughs> a funny way to put it he had the internet <laughs> right well that is a funny way to put it and we, we sat down in front of the computer and he was like oh you know i have the internet what do you want to look up and i was just a kid and i was thinking oh what do i like pizza let's go to pizza.com or pizza hut type in pizza hut or something and like we just went to like the pizza hut website and looked at the pizza on there and i was like whoa this is cool yeah yeah <laughs> the idea of that being exciting whereas like today today a, a similar uh bennett in fourth or fifth grade or whatever you know being exposed to the internet would say oh what do i like pizza type in pizza and i would get 
you know, a YouTuber who tries all the pizzas in the world or, you know, like, oh, can you make a pizza with peanut butter? Um, will it pizza? All of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, I would get all of that. And you could make an argument that that's good. You know, it's, you know, it's obviously entertaining and there's tons of knowledge and information there. But it also, like, maybe I didn't pick the right, the, the right example for this, but it could, <laughs> yeah, it could, better, but <laughs> it could mess with your idea of pizza. Like, you know, if, if you're a kid and you've never been exposed to that stuff and you've eaten, you know, the pizza, you go, go out with your family to a pizza place or you order pizza or whatever, and you have this experience of pizza, but then all you see is this wild flashy stuff about pizza. It does something to your to your idea of pizza. Do you Not think- even your idea of pizza. Get this. It's your idea of you. So you think you like pizza. It's, it's your favorite food. And in your family, you're, you're pizza Bennett. Like, yeah, and sure. you like it. You, have, you wear that with a badge of pride. And you look it up and you see the history of pizza. And then you didn't even know there was deep dish and Chicago style and right. Italian da-da-da-da and all this. And you get overwhelmed and you go, I don't. Maybe I'm, I'm not, not a pizza worthy. Bennett. I'm not kind yeah. of like participating in all this. Maybe I, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm just lame. I don't really like. It. These so other like, people yeah, are like, making like peanut butter pizza and whipped cream pizza and <laughs> yeah, all. Cauliflower, yeah, cauliflower freaking pizza, pineapple on pizza. Things that should never <laughs> exist, right? They're doing all of yeah. this stuff, and you're sitting here thinking, "Wow, like I liked maybe, my personal pan pizza." For I pizza, thought I liked I pizza, but I guess I don't. I'm just. What, whatever but then you also but then like also you know think pizza bennett is growing up and you know hanging out with his friends in pizza parlors and you know things that kids do <laughs> but but over over time i'm my conceptualization of what pizza is has now been influenced by all of this internet knowledge that i didn't investigate right i didn't watch the video of peanut butter pizza like, i didn't watch that video there's so much pizza content on the time. internet. We just glanced Look, at it. I, I bet there's so much content about pizza on the internet, internet that no single person could consume it all before dying. Like it just, it's impossible, right? And yeah. so, yeah. my conceptualization of what pizza is is now maybe maybe it's sixty percent my personal experience with pizza, but but it's also forty percent pizza nonsense on the internet. And I think for kids today. Like that's that percentage is increasingly shifting towards all of their experience and knowledge is based on stuff that came from the internet and less about what they've personally experienced. And obviously, we're using the silly example of pizza, but this also applies to things like, uh, you know, friendships or dating or family interactions or career aspirations or social issues or values and beliefs the way you understand and interact in the world major things that are very important for people to hammer out on their own and come like you're generating your character your personality and your soul like you are you are creating your soul by by doing that stuff yourself and when it when, when instead you're outsourcing it all to the internet, and, and it's not simply, <clears throat> like I'm not saying that the internet is necessarily bad. I'm just saying that all of that stuff not that you. you're bringing in, yeah. you're not verifying it. Like you're not testing that for real. You're just accepting that it's true or accepting that it's valid and it is passively corrupting your identity, the, the who you are, passively, and you can't help it. Like. That's why it's just it's so important to to do stuff yourself. And that's why, you know, just going back to chat GPT, like 
I like I'm technically impressed. I wouldn't, you know, if I could snap my fingers and make it disappear, I wouldn't do that. I think it's really cool and interesting, but I think that people need to understand that it's a tool and it's a tool that doesn't have soul. It doesn't represent truth. It's something that we can use, but if we're not careful, it will passively corrupt how we write and how we think and how we verify information. And and I think to combat this, it's the duty of OpenAI and the other people making similar things to create it in a way that is transparent. Like you can't, like they do content yeah. moderation and all of that kind of stuff. And that is, they may think they're doing the right thing by hiding responses and molding what comes out of the AI. But I think they're doing a disservice by doing that because they're tricking people into thinking that they're getting truth. They're, they're getting something real when they're really not. It should be it should be blatantly obvious when people use a tool like this that they're getting something generated by an AI and they can't take it, you know, as as fact. They have to be skeptical of it and use it. They have to take the information that they receive from ChatGPT and filter it through their own experience and then produce the real human <clears throat> product. They can't just take it and copy paste it from ChatGPT. Same thing with AI generated art. Like yeah, you can click the button and make, um, uh, I don't know the names of the um, the image processing AIs, um, deep, I don't know. whatever. But you can press the button and yeah, it can generate some art and maybe it looks really cool, but as an if you are, tr are a true artist, you're not just gonna take that, put it on a canvas and sell it. You're going to say, oh, this makes me think of, you know, this idea or, oh, this elicits this emotion or whatever the heck artists do. And they're going to put some additional splatters on there and then put it on canvas and uh, and sell it. And that's, you know, that's different. That's that's the way to actually utilize AI as a tool. I it, it just I, it it bums me out hearing the idea of like identities being formed by like the Internet. But I also think. I guess this is where our you seem to. And I agree with you, cherish the lived experience, like the in real life experience as being the accurate one. And the I was just trying to think of a counter to that, like to, to, to play devil's advocate and say, I, I don't know that I have one, but uh, I mean, the counter, the counter is to say that if the, the Internet is the combined lived experience. I hate that term. It's the combined lived experience of so many people. There's so much knowledge and information there, and you're putting your head in the sand by not taking advantage of it. There's so much that you could learn and expand. Uh, you know, you could expand yourself and your horizons and all of that by participating in this community of of yeah. Think you know, of people. the rural person and the urban person, and how their conceptualizations of the world will be wildly different, especially without the internet and like. But that's it's not a problem because how you operate in your world is what matters, I guess. And like the rural person. Well, that's exactly right, and that's why like I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop playing yeah, devil's we'll advocate for a moment. But like how you operate in your world is what matters. If your world is the real world, well, then if you operate well in that world, then great. But if how you operate in the world, if if most of your world is on the internet, the internet is quicksand. The internet is yeah for all intents and purposes infinite and nothing that you do is going to have any significant effect on it people don't care about your 
participation in the internet. You're just a dust moat in the web of information. And so, like, you can be totally unhinged, wild, like, you have no barriers. The consequences of your actions almost don't exist. And no matter what you do on the internet, it's going to have almost no effect on the internet. That is a totally different experience to your real world. If you're wildly unhinged in your real life, if you go if you go into, you know, the grocery store and you rip off your pants and start <laughs> screaming and you're knocking cereal boxes over and you're throwing soup cans everywhere and then all of that stuff. Not the soup cans. Even the soup cans. Like like you're you're going to feel some effects from that, I suspect. Uh, but on the internet, that's not the case. And so, like, your ability to actually test action and reaction and consequence is is lessened on the, on the internet. And so, like, you actually build, I think, you actually build less character by living more of an online life than you would if you didn't. Like, and so I think, you know, I've said this theme has probably come up in our conversations a lot before, but... Like, I think we are infants when it comes to um, the use of the internet. Like, we don't know how to use it yet, societally. Like, we just don't, yeah. we don't understand it yet. In the same way that, like, you know, when the TV came about, you know, people would just uh, veg out on their couch, and there were lots of people talking about doomsday with TVs. And, and I feel like we've, we've learned how to use TVs better. Maybe we're still not to a, a full level of maturity. It's been complicated by other technology. But with the internet, we are truly just babies. And the same thing with maybe you could even go back further into history and say gunpowder or you know firearms. Like when when those came about, people got um, it, the power went to their heads and they conquered other countries and went went wild with it. And it took until yeah. that technology spread over all of civilization essentially until now, like. Now we have a pretty good idea how to use firearms. Like you don't just have people starting up their own little militias and taking over places, generally speaking. I mean, obviously this is not not a perfect analogy. You could argue a lot about firearm usage. But in general, it seems like we've matured. Humanity has matured enough to at least understand how that technology works. Um, whereas the internet... exist in society without constant chaos anyway. Yeah. 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 And... Like the internet, we have certainly not gotten there. We don't know the effects of the internet on humanity, and like, yeah, you know, people people can't psychologically interact with the internet, broadly speaking, and come out unharmed by it. Like some people can, but many people can't, um, and that's you know that's that's dangerous. Like we we because uh because of the pace of technology and innovation all of which i i quite like um and think is positive like we pushed forward and we just continue to push forward and people are always pushing the boundary um but 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 people not everyone has caught up like people haven't learned how to use this appropriately and so like i think that it's just it's just important that we not only produce the products but but teach people how to use the products appropriately um and i don't think we have really done that very well with a lot of technology the internet internet is so profound so ever present so pervasive in our lives that even even though you have you know lots of psychologists warning but even that is just like a small cry and this giant it's the easy path we'll 
It's the easy will path, even, man. It's will, just people taking the know, easy path. Though the impact, it's like okay, we're like here's a new world is basically what was handed to us, and and we just like it, it's yeah. just hard to even measure its impact. It's just so deeply ever present in everyone's lives. It's just like okay, well, and so asking, well, it's just tough to ask someone who's like, you know, a teenager to make just well, making good so, decisions and being thoughtful about it i don't know well like that's they why hear it and like i do the right thing they're like yes sir yes ma'am it's just sort of a right I well as a teenager a teenager doesn't have the life experience to be able to put their internet experience up against their real life experience and detect the the difference, the difference. right yeah, like they, they don't know the difference they don't well. know that they don't know the difference yet and that's why like I guess this is controversial or maybe this is just me being an old man, but it's incumbent upon parents to not let their kids just live all their life on the internet and have that percentage be, you know, too out of whack. Like exposure is okay, but you should instill in your kids that the internet is a tool and that the real world exists outside of the internet. And that's what you use to build your character. And then you can take that character and be resilient enough to participate on the internet without getting psychologically damaged or overwhelmed. Um, that's that's how it should work uh, and and luckily for you and i who grew up straddling the internet we were forced into that pattern right because we had dial up the the internet wasn't developed enough we didn't have pizza youtubes and pizza crap on the internet we just had the pizza hut <laughs> we just had the pizza hut website and that got old pretty quick right i looked at it for like three minutes and went ah pizza's great let's go play and that's good yeah. because that meant that I didn't get sucked into all of this fake, you know, unverifiable internet world. And I got to develop my character outside of that. So we were forced into that. And that same sort of pattern is what parents sh should be uh, now artificially enforcing on their kids. You know, it's not forced by reality. They have to actually exert some discipline <clears throat> um, and and make their kids actually learn how to responsibly use the internet. I don't think parents realize how dangerous the the internet potentially is. I'm not saying that the internet, you know, any every kid exposed to the internet is, uh, you know, doomed. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the internet is a, uh, it's potentially, yeah, it's it's potentially dangerous and psychologically influencing. Um, and obviously different components, the internet is a broad umbrella term. Different components are more or less I psychologically. I was, I was thinking um, about that. Potentially using damaging. it to say like anything online, which is just, you know, everything. Gosh. Right. I, yeah. Um, so well, I've thought about how we're inundated with information and now we have chat GPT, which can produce like, you know, articles on command if if you're a company just wanting to churn out stuff mm -hmm. and so gosh we're just going to be more inundated but right I well we, are we not already saturated i think we're yeah we're already we're already there I, I was thinking about that too like like we the internet already there just think about a narrow thing like uh let me think about an area that i'm a big fan of which is sports um <laughs> I'm sure that there are millions of sports articles written all the time. And sports is something that's so fleeting, right? Because, you know, what McGreg McGregor's rush yardage 
that's something that's ever changing. And after one season, no one cares about McGregor's rush yardage anymore. You know, like yeah. only in the trivia sense, yeah, a trivial sense. And and so the new articles have way way more importance than old articles like a week old article is significantly diminished in importance and so these sports websites or bloggers or news outlets or whatever they have huge incentive to always be publishing new stuff and so now it takes a person to write that stuff so you have to get an intern or some low-level junior writer or or whatever to you know put together some little article on mcgregor's you know, capability on offense in the last season or whatnot. And that takes time and money. But if you could just have an AI bot churn out an article, like if, if you could just feed it the GPT-3 stats. and some yeah. stats, and you could just have automatically generated articles about McGregor and Witkins and whoever, popular, uh, you know, sports <laughs> players, stickball field players are out there. Like, you don't... You could produce so many more articles. Yeah, one person could just plug in all the data, give a few choice adjectives to describe the player that would feed, you know, the the machine, and then yeah. there you go. You well, cr- right, crank but, out forty articles. You know. But but this this all right, this gets us into another interesting area though, which is like you say, we're already saturated, and so what what happens is that. You know, all the people people still have a desire to consume sports information, and so they go on the internet and they search, and what they get back is the largest sports networks, blogs, pages, websites, whatever. That's what they get back because that's what the most people have gravitated towards, and they're not going to go to the one that has no readership or viewership or whatever. And so what I think happens is that you get these mega you know, agglomerations of, of um, material and everyone just kind of goes to that because that's what shows up top at, at their search results. And that's where people can kind of be manipulated. And over time, like I think the, the shotgun approach of just having an AI bot churn out articles, that's not going to be successful because like, like you say, people are at saturation. So they're going to go to the area where they perceive the most, the highest quality um, and uh, and actually get what they're looking for. But I was also thinking too, like, why would a small website that turns out AI produced articles stay in business because of advertising? We we could end up in a place where people are using AI bots to generate ad material and insert ad material into their AI generated articles, and and then people generate because people don't want to watch ads or deal with advertising they have their own ai bots that automatically watch the ads for them so that they don't have to and so like we could end up in a place where the internet is produced and consumed by ai bots (laughs) the same way a kid writes a chat gpt paper and i have a chat gpt grader grader yeah (laughs) it's right well, what if, what if you didn't go to a website anymore? You just went to the, like since you kind of acknowledged it, it, if it was common knowledge that these are just being chat or generated anyway, you would just, just Google your player and like 
last night's game, not Google, you, you, I used the word Google, but I meant like type it into a chat bot, uh, or, or an AI bot. And it was just give, and it kind of learned me. It like knew who Daniel was. And I like a little bit of silliness and like a joke every now and then. And it would just give me really well, like curated information about their stats and made me, made me feel good, that's but the, maybe just angry enough to come back. Cause you know, anger is a big deal too, you know, that's like, the, <laughs> uh, that's the good future. Like, you know, it's easy to envision, you know, all of the ways this can be harmful and dangerous. But if we tried to envision a mature, appropriate future for this sort of technology, I think that's where it goes. It's not some some Silicon Valley, uh, non-transparent kind of shady company developing this AI model that it's then harvesting your data to, to use. It's everyone having their own personal AI that they get to mold as they wish and they can see all of the all of the data under the hood and how it's working maybe they don't understand that just how you can take the back panel off of your tv and look at the circuitry and everything like you can you can yeah. see what's going you can see the inputs and outputs to your own personal ai but you can customize it as you want and the ai if, if everyone has an ai constructed in such a manner then the ai can reach out to the internet and communicate with the internet and understand you know the error bars of the information <laughs> that it's receiving and then communicate that to you. And it can say, master, you know, master Bennett, this is the information I, my AI would always address me as master Bennett. <laughs> this is the information I found. And you know, it has, I, I calculate that it has a 35% chance of being reliable or whatever, you know, and, and I would have that information. Like it's, it would just be so great. And yeah, obviously it could do it in a way that I find pleasing a little bit silly and, you know, it can present me with the interesting thing that it found today or the stats about Witkinson and how many dunk touchdowns he had or whatever. <laughs> but it's so odd to think then now there's, there's we're not going to spaces that we find comfort in. Like we like people like to go to their the blogger that they like, but now like you wouldn't. You would just get the information and in a pleasant way. I guess you would be just as that put, well, no that's good it's a good thing it puts you back in the real world you're not logging on to some nebulous amorphous online quicksand where you never there's so much information you can never verify it now it's as if you were in the real world again and you happen to go to the local pizza parlor and there's fred sitting at the table and you're like fred did you catch the game last night oh yeah Wickinson made a dunk pass that was just phenomenal and then you get the information from from fred well now you're in the real world again and you know you can ask your personal ai and essentially receive that information in a similar way and we could talk about the dystopian nature of you know ai substituting for humans and fooling ourselves that those interactions are genuine all of that kind of thing but no doubt to me that's a better future than having this mega spread of information that that no one can verify um, on on the inter- on the internet um, and it's so impersonal how you interact with it so now let's say that like I'm a sport like if, if Alex and I are sports fans and I got my AI generated article about last night's game especially curated for me and kind of knew what stats were intriguing to me but gave me you know accurate stuff and and he got his and we were talking about the game now we're not just talking about the same article that so often happens right people are like oh yeah I saw that on 
ESPN this or that. So now, so now he's like, can you share that article with me that was AI generated for you and your personality? And I'm like, sure. And I like send it to him and he reads it and he likes it. And he also thinks I like this, this cool information. And I like Daniel because like, you know, like, like, cause my personality weirdly influences your AI well, That's output. the question. Yeah, the, the AI output will like have some, since it's learning me, my, a mirror, I should be very importantly, but a mirror of my personality is interlaced into those articles, uh, possibly. Mm-hmm. Because, well, yeah, it would be because I like the stuff and it's learning what I like. I don't know. But this whole mirror relationship is odd. You know, it's just, it's going to keep giving me just, I think the echo chamber uh, could really get bad there, too. So I don't know. I mean, sports are sort of harmless, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, echo chambers are only dangerous if like if you make that your real world like if you think if you think of it as a tool as a supplement to the real world then it's not as dangerous because you're never taking that what the ai says as truth you're taking it as oh you think this is the way it is huh let me see if that's the way it is and that's a better way to live than just taking it as absolute you know absolute truth and then lining your real life up against it and saying, wait a second, is my life real? Is what I'm experiencing real? Because on the internet, it's not that way. Like, I mean, I, f- I feel like we have you know, the the most, uh, you know, the social issues that rise to your mind first when you think about such social issues. That's the problem we have is that people hear about all this nonsense on the internet and they say, wait a second, my life is like that, surely, when really it's not. Um, people are taking cues right. from social crap on the internet and they're saying wait a second i experience racism or i experience you know what take take your pick of negative thing wait that's in my life no it's probably not yeah. it's just crap you hear on the internet right. and 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 right. their, their incentives are perverse too because you know, because the internet is quicksand and because there's so much information and because there's a, a recency bias like you the incentive is to make your story or your post or your whatever as sensational as possible to get the most attention because otherwise it'll die and no one will pay attention to it and it'll just be you know go into the memory hole of the internet and so the incentives are perverse it's that you're incentivized to be wild and crazy and that means that when people start believing the internet is the real world they believe that the real world is wild and crazy when it's really not your life is probably pretty boring and normal yeah, uh, it's draining to wrap my head around this. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> well, that's why. Like, well, I think that's an appropriate psychological response. One that I've also had, and like, you know, over the course of time using the internet, like using Facebook or whatever, like I felt the same thing. I felt like, wait, this doesn't feel good. Like, it's not actually bringing me positive things in life the, the negatives are outweighing the positives this tool is not serving me in the right way it's making it's it's making my ability to to test against real life weird like i'm just feeling weirdness so i'm not going to use this tool anymore and thus i don't use social media anymore and wow life is way better <laughs> like the the benefit from that stuff is just not not useful and like even the way i consume youtube videos and stuff like i don't just like i don't always have it on like when i want to watch 
a YouTube video, it's very conscious. I think, oh, I want to watch this channel and this person. And so I turn it on and I watch it. And then when I'm done watching it, I turn it off. Like I use it as a tool consciously. I don't just say, oh, I don't know what to do and turn it on and then click on crap. And I feel like a lot of people do that sort of thing. Yeah, most people do that, I think. And so like far be it for me to claim that I'm mature about it, but I feel like I have developed a way to use the internet that works that works for me and doesn't pollute my life and my soul and my humanity. Like I feel like I am still 80% or more Bennett and only a smaller percentage of internet, you know? <laughs> right. Like that's the sweet spot. It be 80% yourself as they say. As they say. Just just be just be 80, just be, be your 80% of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, how's, the, how's the how's the rest of life going? <laughs> I don't know. Um, teaching is fun, um, uh, you know stuff. You like, enjoying all of your uh, life transitions? Yeah, I have felt slightly like if you think about it, like we exist in life in a series of roles, and like now that I'm, I'm like my primary roles are like. Son. Rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a son. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a husband. This is not in a particular order. Um, I'm a friend. Those would be, the, I guess, the primary roles off the top of my head. A poet. And, uh, and so, <laughs> a poet. A thinker and a feeler. Even if you don't and know it. Earth shaker. <laughs> and so, um, during times of transition those roles usually that means like you're taking on a new role like i'm a new i'm a teacher at a new place i'm a yeah. i'm a new husband and uh and so i've just been i've been spending a lot of time in roles and and then the question is and i think this might be just a bad question but like a kind of a who like i'm i'm there's a there's a stress associated with new roles and the stress isn't bad it just means that it's new and you're being you're having to devote a lot of time thinking and like like energy toward that to get growing comfortable with those roles right um and so when am i just daniel like absent of the roles and that's what i think might be a bad question or like uh you know yeah because I think it I don't, is it's not like question. i'm not myself when i'm you know being a husband like i like whatever that means it's so so it's probably just a bad question. But, I think it's uh, a bad question. I mean, role, what is a role? It's a set of responsibilities that you have in relation to some concept or whatever. You know, like your teacher role. Yeah. What is that? It's a set of responsibilities to your employers and your colleagues and your students and yeah. how you interact with those responsibilities. And so are you not Daniel? When you're in that role, no, you're Daniel interacting with those responsibilities in a particular way. Same thing with the other roles that you mentioned, I think. Right. And so right. it's it's not that you're not Daniel. It's just that, you know, you're devoting you're devoting Daniel to balancing all of those different responsibilities at the same time. And so doing that kind of does alter who you are in a way, or you may have to suppress certain uh urges or desires or wants or needs or whatever and you know fa uh, prioritize others while you're navigating the roles 
Yeah, I think so. When people say things like, who am I when I'm not in these roles, they're really just saying, uh, I'm tired. The responsibilities fatigue me. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's tired. all that really is. I think and so. Too. So, um, you know, that's all I guess I'm saying is I'm, I'm a little bit tired. Uh, so. But yeah, that's that's know. not surprising. I imagine, uh, you know, given all the the changes that you took on pretty rapidly, that that would be uh, pretty pretty tiring. And you like action oriented. I'm usually like try, like to think a lot, but I don't. I haven't had as much room for thought. It's just action, go go go. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Um. I don't know. It wasn't wasn't that important. Oh. Yeah. Well. So that's so that's me. I'm tired a little bit. What? How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. <laughs> I feel like we're doing this reverse, like where we launched into the topic, we did. and now we're just sort of going here. Oh yeah, I had an opener. I had an opener that I wanted to just a, a little. Let's do a closer then. Make it a closer. I'm not gonna do the uh, the, you know, the the regular segment thing, but I just had a little a little anecdote that I wanted to mention to you because I thought it was weird. So I went to the grocery store the other day, and I was on the way back home. Um, from the grocery store and I take this path from the grocery store behind like a target it's kind of like a strip mall area and so there's this little back road that goes behind that stuff lets you avoid the parking lots and then it's quick a quicker way back to where I live so I was going down this little back road you know behind target there's like a dumpster and they put their cardboard back there you can envision they have like their garage loading garages you can envision kind of what I'm this area well there was this person pulled over kind of in this little uh, gir- you know, l- truck loading area <clears throat> in his car or truck. I don't remember what kind of vehicle it was. It was an old man, and he was had his driver's side door open, and he was standing outside of his truck, and he was kind of like he looked uh, somewhat distressed just a, a little bit. He was kind of like, like fiddling with his phone and then looking – up at the cars as they passed him slowly. These are speed bumps in this area, so you're driving really slowly. And like two cars in front of me, he like raised his finger, you know, as if to get their attention, and like almost as if to say, "Hey, excuse me." But for either the, they didn't see him or they looked at him and thought he was a weirdo and didn't stop, and so they kept going. And then the car in front of me, he made the same. He was like looking down at his phone, then looked up and waved at him again, and they kind of slowed down. And then kept yeah, going. Like unsure, like should unsure what guy, to do. Like what and so now it's my turn, and I'm coming up to him, and he does the same thing to me. And it's just he, he doesn't. This doesn't look like a bad guy. This isn't like a, a threatening situation. This is not a threatening a situation. Man, who's like on the uh, he doesn't understand the GPS took him to the backside of Target or something. There you know? something like, like that. And so okay, so I pulled, I I pulled over and I uh, I stopped and I let down my window and I said like can I help you? Like, do you need something? He was like, oh, yeah, I, uh, I got a question to ask you, young man or whatever. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> let me pull out of the, you know, out of the way. So that I'm not blocking traffic. So I pull over and he like comes over to the driver's side window and like he, he holds his phone out to me and he's like, and it's in like selfie camera mode. And I can all, <laughs> and he's like, oh, he, this guy is like in his seventies or something. He's yeah, got yeah. white hair and like he's just an old man. He's like, I somehow get the camera thing, and I didn't even oh wait. I didn't even wait for him. I was like, here, hand, hand me that. See this button with the little camera and the two arrows. And you press this button. Now it's in the forward facing camera. He's like, and he 
looked really confused about it, and he was just like, oh, alright, yeah, these darn th- things, doodads, like, I just, you know, you can't rub the button, but thanks, I just needed to, and then he walked over and took a picture of a big snow pile, and I was like, alright, well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what he wanted to do, take a picture of the big pile of snow. And he thought it was worth, like, flagging cars down to help him with. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Well, it was just... Wow. That's the most interesting. Like, like if he had been lost or asked directions, was what I was certain was going to happen or, like... But it's just... The most fascinating thing is that it's he thought it was worth flagging someone down, like... I didn't... I mean, I... I I didn't Not mind. That you mind I did. I'm just. I saying. thought that was. Not, I mean, to me. I don't know. That nice. just seems it's cute. It's weird. The whole thing's weird. That's how the world should be. Like you should be able to just right. raise your finger up and go, "Hey, hey, excuse me, total stranger, can you help me with this really quickly?" Like I feel like if yeah, you weren't a true. 70 year old man, you would have, you know, if you would have gone straight to your phone anyway for the answer, and you would have, you know, Googled or asked your chat bot. How do I swap from the selfie camera and f- done it that way? But instead, we had an interaction, you know, and it became an anecdote that I could relay on the podcast <laughs> to a bunch of faceless <laughs> listeners um, that we don't actually so interact st- with. I'm <laughs> <laughs> cynical to think that he, like, to flag a car down has a sort of weight to it. Like, I have a need. And I do not consider... He did have a need. He had to take a picture of the snow pile. <laughs> he had to. It was a need. Because, like, if you're lost, there's a need to be found or find yourself. If yes. But, like, if you really have your camera backwards, like, but I think most people, even, like, old people would just say, well, you know how, I guess I don't get to take this picture. You know, you know I, what I, learn, I really should learn this better next time. I should have gotten out and said, okay, I can help fix this for you. Come over here with me, stood in front of the snow pile, and hold up his phone and take a selfie with him in front of the snow pile. And said, that's how you, that's how you use a phone. Yeah, that's how you use it. Old man. It's all for selfies. You don't need the forward-facing camera. The whole point of a phone (laughs) is for the selfies. Oh, man. Okay, so listen. I didn't even have uh, I didn't even have my groceries in paper bags, and that still happened no, to me. It's still so imagine if I had gotten my groceries in paper bags and walked home. How much more interesting the situation would have been. Wow. This one more old man interaction I had yesterday that is uh, so imagine this. It's Costco, and it is horrendously crowded on a Saturday. Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, Danielle was laughing at me about like we're, I'm navigating the cart and like you're having to be people are pretty much idiots just like driving in a crowded place too you know you're just getting sure. frustrated all the time people are walking too slow this that and the other but for the most part given that it is I mean I would guess almost max capacity just you're you, I'm need to know people. who's behind me I'm I'm actually <laughs> yeah, it's a you know Costco's a huge warehouse whatever like like I mean and they make the aisles extra wide to get like but it is. So one, an old man has decided in one at the end of one of the aisles at a cross section kind of thing, he has uh, pulled his his shopping cart like he's he's taking up the uh, no one can get by he and he's taking a phone call and um, <laughs> and I'm kind of coming up behind him. Danielle's able to slip through it. My cart's just not going to without bumping him. Mm-hmm. And so I say, "Pardon me, pardon, pardon me. me, pardon me." I did actually go, "Pardon me, man, pardon me." pardon me and i said it loud by the third time i said it loud and so i just ease my shopping cart and it bumps him a little bit and he turns around and gives me the most offended look and i'm like 
you know, excuse me, buddy. Like, and I just keep going. And it was such a gentle bump. (laughs) So I guess that could be like an, am I the a-hole sort of post. Um, And Daniel and I talked. She goes, because she, she goes, oh, that was so awkward. But like, he was unbelievable. You were saying, pardon me. There was nothing. I mean, she goes, I probably, we we had a long conversation about how maybe I could have tapped him on the shoulder. but that Makes me more uncomfortable. Like she said, but she was definitely on the side of like, he's the crazy one in this situation. And I just had like what I tried three times to acknowledge him before like, yeah, he's the a-hole. Just had, I had to make my way through. Dude, but there's I, nothing I still wrong. I felt a weird adrenaline of like, I just like bumped an old man <laughs> to get out, get out of the way, you know? But there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you can't just be standing in the middle of an aisle with your cart and stuff. Like His, his location was absurd. And then, you know, we were like, like, maybe he's hard of hearing. Maybe he was getting a phone call about his wife dying of cancer. I don't know. All that's true. But you still all, get bumped. None like, of you that. You still get matter. bumped. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's say he was hard of hearing and his wife just died of cancer and he got the call. Like... You're still like, standing sorry, in the middle of the aisle. Bumped. Like, isn't that mean to say? But it's still no. you're still in the no, aisle, no, and the world no. still exists. There's nothing mean like. about being bumped. Like that's like like being bumped is the cause and effect effect of standing in the middle of the aisle. It's yes. not mean. You didn't you didn't ram into him. You didn't say, "Ha, look at this." It's not like you know, like people standing uh, in the wrong place on the road, and so you drive in the puddle to splash them. You know, like right. it's not like that. You just, this was the most, the minimal action you needed to, you know, actually get, get by. Um, Man, but I was thinking this, how he probably interpreted that moment of like, you know, young people these days, you know, he probably has some, I'm projecting here, but if he has a worldview about like, and it was, it was a chaotic place and he probably told, maybe he told his story to someone about to his wife right before she died. That was like his last thing. She was telling him like, Oh Frank, I I love you so. Oh, you won't believe this, Ethel. This this young whippersnapper just bumped his cart into me in the Costco. Kids uh, these days, these hooligans. Yeah, yeah. Frank, that sounds really annoying. <laughs> Beep. Yeah, that's probably what happened. Um, but I was just thinking about how the world gives us feedback and he had gotten some feedback, right? He was inappropriate and the world bumped up against him and right. said, Hey, like, here's a reminder. Cause he, if he had self-assessed and gone, Oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of the road, my bat, you know, like, but instead it was maybe fulfilling his own, you know, biases or whatever. And cause I mean, I, I'm, and I was thinking, am I doing the same by going oh, old people unaware or whatever? And I don't really have an anti old people thing. So I don't think it could so. have been anyone. I mean, it didn't yeah, have it to could be have been anyone. Man. I said, excuse me, several times, or pardon me. I actually said pardon me, which I think is funny. I think that's that, funny, too. I don't too. know why that's what came out of my, but that is what I said. It's pardon me, pardon You're me. I mean, I don't know. It's trying to be extra polite. You're just I don't a know. sophisticated English teacher It's a, just I was metropolis, trying to be gentle, gentle as I knew how. <laughs> like, pa- pardon me, pardon me, fellow sir. You have to sir. say it with a little bit of an accent. You have to. Yeah. Pardon me, pardon me. But yeah, and so... But it, it still made me feel uh, – well, it was important for me to say, like, I'm not a, the jerk here. I don't regret it, and I stand by all of that. But it still gave me uh, some feelings because it's <laughs> weird. It's, it's bumping into a man. Like, I don't want to do this. It's like he's presented this situation. I, I, I had to use some energy, like psychological energy to address, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it sounds silly, fi- but it's it just It like, does sound silly. I find that – really funny just because like that's the kind of interaction that i wouldn't have thought twice about like i would have just 
Well, given his mean look and how awkward it was, it was just like a, I, I just thought it was worth a, it was a, worth mentioning on this podcast. Oh, like, absolutely! Yeah. That's the most important thing. <laughs> most important thing we talked about today. I think. Yeah, yeah. I love I love little little anecdotes like that. Um, yeah. Ah oh, man, freaking yeah. old men. Gosh, get with the times, well, from Grandpa. His he might not have heard, let's just say he didn't hear me say he say pardon me. Like let, let's go ahead and do that. He probably did not hear me say that because he was on the phone. Uh, but the second he gets bumped, what what the? Oh my gosh! I'm in the middle of the road. Like I think that's what I would do if I were on the phone, not aware of my environment. I get bumped uh, immediately. It's, it's I'm assessing danger, right? Like am I about? And then I go, oh my gosh, embarrassment. That would be it. Sure, be yeah. like, am I in danger? And now I'm embarrassed with a sort of an apologetic. Oh, I'm, I'm you know my bad. Ah, gosh, I'm sorry. Like that's what would have come out of my mouth. So, right. Um, but his was more of a, oh my gosh, or at least the, the sort of, you're a jerk. Uppity young man bumping yeah. my good Which hip. I, I find that misinterpretation frustrating. Like, like you, you, the idea that you're causing issues, you're receiving natural feedback from the world. And Did he say anything? To, no, that's oh, what okay. I just said. So, just, just getting through, just getting through. So yeah, you, he like might that. not have been mad. It might, he might have just had a mad old man face. You know, like that an is anno- true. Annoyed, a little bit of confusion. Some, yeah, interpreted old, his anger. Right, like old men's faces. Sometimes you can't tell whether, you know, they're just surprised or confused or a thing is a thing is happening to me, and yeah. you know they just have the same look on their face a lot of the a lot of the time. <laughs> Yeah. So it might might have just been like confusion or like you mentioned, I just got bumped, embarrassment, surprise, whatever, and it just you know he was on the phone, so he was distracted, so maybe those things came to him uh, more slowly. He didn't say anything. Like if he would have raised his fist and said, "Oh, you young whippersnapper," all of that stuff, then yeah, you could yeah. definitely be more uh, more sure in your interpretation. But you're right. He did not say anything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's nice. Let's uh, let's right. talk again sometime. Let's do that on the podcast, the Third Space podcast. This let's one, this on podcast, that, on this, on, uh, this podcast in a in a space that is third, not mine or yours, but it's but some it's sort in of, the middle, in the sort yeah. of in the middle of us. I think, okay. Bye. Bye. The end. The end. Over.